Amen. We'll open God's Word now at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, commencing at verse 12, and we'll read down to the end of verse 26. First Corinthians chapter 15, commencing at verse 12. And the Word of God says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then 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 is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, And we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward they that are Christ's at his coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless the reading of his word to all of our hearts. As we take our seats, let's turn again to God's precious word. And we have been reading from 1 Corinthians and the chapter 15. 1 Corinthians and the chapter 15. And this morning, I would draw your attention to the 19th verse. We'll be looking at the portion that we have read my text and my title is taken from verse 19. And the Apostle Paul writes, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And my title is those words, Hope in Christ. Let us just unite together in a word of prayer and ask the Lord for help as we come to the ministry of his precious word. Our God and our Father, we do thank thee for our coming together this Lord's day, and we do praise thee for help given to thy servant in the leading of the meeting. We rejoice, O God, that we can sing thy praise together, 
We thank thee for the reading of thine own precious and infallible word. And even as we would come to meditate upon thy word, we do thank thee for the hope that we have in and through our Lord and Savior. And it would be our prayerful desire, O God, that each one here gathered might know that blessed hope personally, individually, within their heart this day. So, Lord, close us in to thee. Give us help from heaven, the infilling of thy spirit, and glorify thy name in and through us. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ occupies a fundamental place in the whole message of the gospel. And indeed, when we come to every Lord's day, we are reminded of a risen Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ rose on the first day of the week, and that day became the Lord's day. He put his name upon that day. And every Lord's day reminds us that we do serve a risen, exalted, and glorified Savior. Now, the importance that is attached to the resurrection of Christ could not be overstated. This truth is central to the whole Christian faith. It is a key doctrine in God's precious word. And whenever we think today about the resurrection of the Savior, it proves to us a number of things. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the grave proves his sonship, that he is in fact the Son of God. That he has risen from the grave reveals to us who he really is. Romans chapter 1 and the verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes of the Savior that he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. The fact that he has conquered death and the grave, the fact that he has risen from the dead, it proves his person, that he is who he claims to be. It also proves to us that salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Also in Paul's letter to the Romans, the chapter 4 and the verse 25, Paul speaks of the Savior who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He was raised again for our justification. And through that atoning death upon the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ made satisfaction for sin. He purchased our salvation. You see, if death had have been able to hold on to the Savior, if the grave had have been able to keep its grip upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then there would be no justification of the sinner. But he was raised again 
for our justification. And therefore, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it proves to us his sonship, and it proves to us that there is salvation to be found alone in Christ. And then it also proves the source of our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. That's what's called in our text of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 and the verse 19, hope in Christ. There is hope in Christ because he is risen from the grave. There is hope in Christ because he lives in the power of an endless life. And we today have hope in Christ. When the Apostle Peter wrote in his first epistle, the chapter 1 and the verse 3, he said to God's people, we have been begotten us. He has begotten us again onto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're begotten again onto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, as Paul writes to the Corinthians here, and we've been reading in this 15th chapter, and that chapter, of course, is a key chapter concerning the teaching of the resurrection of the Savior. But the apostle reveals to us here in our Bible reading that there were some there at Corinth who denied the resurrection some there at Corinth who doubted that the resurrection was true. They did not believe in the resurrection. Notice there at verse 12 where our reading was commenced. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? How say some among you? There were those there that were in and around the church at Corinth and they were sowing these seeds of error. And they were saying, there are those there at Corinth who are among you. And they say that there is no resurrection of the dead. Whenever Jude wrote his little epistle, just the one chapter, he was warning God's people about error. And he said there in verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And there were those who had crept in there at Corinth, some among you, who say that there is no resurrection of the dead. They're denying the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is showing us here in 1 Corinthians 15, and indeed throughout the Word of God, that this truth is a fundamental tenet of the Christian faith. But yet it will always be under the attack of the devil. Whenever Paul in Acts chapter 17 uh, preached there at Mars Hill and he referred to the resurrection, it tells us that there was opposition. And in Acts 17 and the verse 32, it says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked 
And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. What was it that triggered there the mockery at Mars Hill? It was when they heard, they heard Paul preach about the resurrection of the dead. And so here as Paul realizes there are some among them at Corinth who denied and didn't believe in the resurrection, he now wants to address that particular error. And for a moment, Paul actually takes up the error. He's saying to these Corinthians in this particular passage, okay, let's say for a moment there's no resurrection. What would that mean? What would be the implications? Notice in verse 13 of the Bible reading, but if there be no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul is saying to them, let's just take that for a moment and let's say there is no resurrection from the dead. And there are a few points that I want to leave before you in relation to this. Firstly, the consequences if there is no resurrection. The consequences. Paul points out to these deniers the logical and serious consequences if there be no resurrection. And you notice there as verse 13 continues, he's saying, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then, and here's the first consequence, then is Christ not risen? That's a most serious error to deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is to deny a fundamental of the faith. Different theories have been put forward concerning the death and resurrection of the Savior. There's some who would have said, well, on the cross he never really died to begin with. And they would want to argue a case that perhaps the Lord on the cross just went into an unconscious state and maybe he didn't really die there upon that center tree and later on then when he was laid in the tomb he, he revived out of that unconscious state that's a direct contradiction of scripture scripture testifies that on the cross the Lord Jesus Christ died. He died. He laid down his life. There are others who would argue against the resurrection and they would say, well, he didn't rise bodily. He just rose really in spirit. And therefore they deny the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But yet when the Lord appeared in his resurrected form in Luke chapter 24 and the verse 39, he said to those to whom he appeared to, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. They say Christ only rose in the form of a spirit. No. Christ says, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. 
And therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he rose from the grave, he rose from the dead, and it was a bodily resurrection. But that first consequence, a most serious consequence, if there be no resurrection, Paul says, then, then is Christ not raised. Another consequence that follows if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. But verse 14 says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. The preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the message of the Bible, it becomes just a vain exercise. What does that word vain mean? It means empty. It means something that is of no value whatsoever. Something that is absolutely worthless. And therefore, Paul is saying, look, if we just took for a moment that there was no resurrection, then that means that Christ himself is not risen. And that means that our preaching is worthless. It's meaningless. Our preaching is just an empty message. Our preaching is just vain. Verse 14 goes on to show another consequence there. At the end of verse 14, Paul says, And your faith is also vain. If there's no resurrection, then Christ is not risen, and our preaching is vain and empty and worthless, and your faith, it's also worthless. The faith that you claim to exercise in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's of no value if there's no resurrection. The further consequences in verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. And Paul says, if, if there's no resurrection, then we're actually false witnesses, Paul said. The message that Paul has preached throughout his Christian life, his whole ministry, it has been one great fraud. We're false witnesses. All that Paul has been engaged in and all that he has taught, it's utter folly. If there be no resurrection, you think of what Paul endured for the cause of Christ and the message of the gospel. All that he went through times when he was beaten and left for dead, times when he was stoned, times whenever he was shipwrecked. If you glance on down chapter 15 here of our Bible reading to the 32nd verse, he says, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. So he actually went through the, the fighting with beasts at Ephesus. All of those things that he endured Paul's saying it's, it's all been a waste of time if there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, may the apostle Paul has gone through all of that for nothing. It's all been false. When you look at that 32nd verse, he goes on to say, what advantage is it me if I've gone through all of this 
if there's no resurrection? What advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Then he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul says, if there's no resurrection there, well then we should just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And looking in verse 17, you can see another serious consequence if there be no resurrection. Paul says, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. If Christ hasn't risen from the grave, you're still in your sins. In other words, there's no salvation. And verse 18 furthermore would say that they which are, are fallen asleep, those that have died, have perished. Those that have believed in Christ and exercised faith in him and have now fallen asleep in Christ, if there be no resurrection, then they've perished. Oh, they lived out their lives and they, they had that hope in Christ as they lived, but that hope that they had in this life, it has died with them. If there's no resurrection... Then Paul really concludes that whole argument. Verse 19. And he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. There's no resurrection. Oh, you can preach Christ and you can have faith in Christ. You can labor for Christ. And you can have that hope in Christ, but whenever you die, it's over. And Paul says, well, if that was the case, we would be of all men most miserable. The consequences, if there be no resurrection. That word miserable there, it means wretched. We would be wretched. We would be miserable. If we've only hope in this life and there's nothing beyond. There's no resurrection. In fact, it goes further than just being miserable. He says we would be of all men, of all men. And you consider some of the misery that would be suffered in the world. And he says of all men, not just miserable, but most miserable. That's the superlative that means it's to the highest degree. And therefore, if you were to go through this life with faith in Christ and hope in Christ, and yet there was no hope beyond, we would be of all men to the highest degree. We would be most miserable. Do you see the disastrous consequences if there's no resurrection? And yet there are some who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Disastrous consequences. But I want you to think secondly of the confirmation of the resurrection of Christ. And you look then in verse 20. In verse 20 it commences with those words, but now, but now. In other words, to that particular point, the Apostle Paul has been looking at the consequences of no resurrection in a sort of hypothetical way. He says, but now we'll come to reality. Now we'll come to the truth. 
Now we'll come to the fact. And he's no longer dealing with the hypothetical situation. He's declaring with great boldness. And he's declaring with great force the truth of the resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul has already set forth that great truth in the earlier part of the chapter. You look there at verse 3. And he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, we must return to what the Bible says, and we must come back to what the Scriptures plainly teach us. Paul says, what I'm telling you is according to the Scriptures. The prophesying of Christ is right throughout the Word of God. And how he would not see corruption. How he would not remain within the grave. But the Lord Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. He would have the victory over the grave. And it's according to the Scriptures, what the Bible has taught us. Verse 5 there in this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it shows us that there were eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. It says that he was seen of Cephas, that was Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. And the Apostle Paul here is giving to us the confirmation. He's showing us here the proof, the proof of the resurrection and the proof that the Savior has risen from the grave. And you can see confirmed in the writings of Scripture that this is a cardinal doctrine. This is a fundamental truth that is taught in the Bible. That that truth was central to the preaching of the apostles in the early New Testament church. In Acts chapter 4, and those opening two verses, it says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And there was that message that the New Testament church took up and they carried forward and they wanted to proclaim throughout all the land. And the Lord said, yea, even to the very ends of the earth, they preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The devil will ever oppose that truth. But that truth was central to the message. That truth featured so prominently in the message that the apostles brought. 
In the book of the Acts, when you go down Acts chapter 4 uh, to the, the verse 10, and the apostle Peter now says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Ye crucified him. God raised them from the dead, Peter says. You see, we continue with that message, the fundamental message of the Christian faith. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen. We have to believe that. Romans 10 and 9, the little chorus says, is a favorite verse of mine. And there in Romans the chapter 10 and in the ninth verse, it tells us of the resurrection of Christ and how it is fundamental to our very salvation. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. When you come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's to believe in the person. It's to believe in the work of the Savior. And you must believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Fundamental truth that must be believed. You go on Romans 10 and 9, you cannot be saved without believing in the resurrection of Christ. Mr. Spurgeon, he said, the whole system of Christianity rests upon the fact that Christ is risen. The whole system of Christianity rests upon the fact that Christ is risen. You see, if Christ has not risen from the grave, and if there is no resurrection, then the whole system and structure of Christianity, it just collapses into a heap. And so today we come to the confirmation of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. But then, thirdly, the confidence we have because of the resurrection of Christ. In other words, what this truth actually means to us today, what it means to us in a practical sense. Well, when you look again at our Bible reading, the Apostle Paul has confirmed that Christ is risen. He has shown us that in verse 20. He says, but now, with force, but now is Christ risen from the dead. And then he adds this in the second half of verse 20. And become the firstfruits of them that slept. And so the resurrection of Christ was the firstfruits. That's an expression that we would need to come to understand because it's referring to the resurrection of Christ and it's saying that his resurrection is the first fruits of them that slept. The Jews understood what this meant. They knew that the first fruits was a reference to the harvest. 
whenever the harvest was beginning to ripen and beginning to come to fruition, there was what they would call the first fruits. That first indication, the first fruits are beginning to appear. And really what the first fruits were, they were a pledge or they were an indication. They were a sample of what was going to follow First fruits would be a message to say there's going to be greater. There's going to be more to follow in a much greater way, in a much greater degree. Over in Leviticus 23, in the verses 10 and 11, you have reference there to the first fruits of the harvest. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And so the Old Testament, the Israelites were to bring that sheaf, uh, the first fruits of the harvest, and they would bring it to the priest, and he would wave it, as it were, before the Lord, and it was in thanksgiving to the Lord uh, for the harvest, and that they would be accepted before the Lord, and they were to offer the lamb. The lamb was to be sacrificed. His blood was to be shed. And you can see in relation to the first fruits, that's all typifying the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon Calvary. And the fact that he rose from the grave and the Apostle Paul is using that thought of the first fruits, that the Lord's resurrection from the grave, that's like the first fruits. That's an indication of what is going to follow uh, to a greater degree in the future. In other words, the Savior's resurrection gives us the confidence that we're going to be resurrected because he lives, we shall live also. You follow on where we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and there in verse 21 when he has just spoken about the first fruits of them that slept, he says, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. What a hope we have. That's why we entitled the message Hope in Christ. Because we have that hope in and through all that our Lord and Savior has accomplished for us. In Romans chapter 8 and the 11th verse, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. 
And there's the great and blessed hope of the believer that one day, because he has risen from the grave, we shall rise. We shall rise. That's our hope. The hope that is both sure and steadfast. And therefore we look forward to that great day with confidence. There is hope for the Christian beyond the grave. Therefore, when you think of the words of our text, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. My, it's the opposite to that. It's the complete contrast to that. The believer today should rejoice. And we rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because we not only have hope in Christ in this life, but we have hope in Christ for the life to come. And we have hope in Christ for all eternity. Though that we would all ensure today that each one of us has that blessed hope and that we are shut into Christ for all eternity. I finish with the words in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5 and the verse 28, the Savior said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And to do good is to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm bringing you to those verses to show that everyone is going to be raised. The resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the just and of the unjust. And there's a resurrection that is unto life. Life everlasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a resurrection that is on to damnation. Oh, today be sure that your faith and trust is in the only Savior of men and that you have this hope in Christ for all eternity. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts.